Welcome, citizen, to the Watchtower. My name is Gary. And my name is Ben, and we'll be your guides as you peruse the archives of the world's greatest superhero group, the Justice League. And we hope that you'll join us on today's adventure. Welcome to episode 21, A Night of Shadows, part 2. Wonder Woman finds the Philosopher's Stone in Hugh Hefner's palace and escapes from Morgan with the help of the Flash and Jason Blood. They secure it in the Watchtower, but John brings it to Morgan as the rest of the Justice League fights some medieval minions summoned aboard. They manage to get John in time to stop him from handing it over, and due to some psychic memories from Blood, John snapped out of it and destroys the stone, accepting the Justice League and Earth as his new home. It's all coming together now. It's all coming together, yeah. <laughs> A bit of an awkward lead-up, but I feel like this uh, closes all the loops pretty nicely. Yeah, it does. I, I had a lot less issues with this episode than I did at the, the first part, I think. Yeah, so uh, I believe at the beginning of this episode, we're on the Watchtower, and Batman is once again shirtless, but with but a with mask on. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I noticed that every time it happens now, I'm noticing it thanks to you. <laughs> well, it's one of those weird things. It's like, of all the characters, I mean, you know, with, with Jean, and you see it in this one specifically, like, his Bruce Wayne is the elongated face, you know? Right. So, like, we see both elements of his psyche, but we don't see Batman without a mask on, and we don't see Flash without a mask on, and, and stuff like that. It's just oh. interesting. Here we go. Um, we don't see... Well, uh, it doesn't actually work because... Uh, well, I mean, I guess it kind of does, because Batman's whole becoming the mask routine is that it's very hard to tell whether or not he's Bruce Wayne or Batman. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, in terms of, like, who is he in reality? Which one of them is the mask and which one is him, really? Right. Um, you could almost see Jean kind of ha- going halvesy and, like, kind of being the mask and kind of accepting or, or kind of inhabiting his regular Martian form mm-hmm. uh, as as this sort of inability to commit to the mask and the way that Batman did, which is the way he got over his loss is he, you know, he channeled it. He didn't try to regain his loved ones. He didn't try to like go back to a time of pure innocence because it doesn't exist for him anymore. Right. Um, So Mm -hmm. I I think that maybe there's that, some of that, like we probably, it would be really cool if we never saw John in his regular Martian form again, because he's kind of closed that chapter of his life to, batman's example that'd be an interesting way to do it that would be cool um and and you know the thing is i'm pretty sure because you know john can read people's minds i'm pretty sure he knows who bruce or batman is but he's still respectful enough to keep that element like oh yeah batman doesn't want that you know or bruce doesn't want his uh alter ego to be revealed so i'll just keep it on the down low you know? Yeah, probably. I mean, like, I don't know even who would he tell. Yeah, you right, know, right. <laughs> like, he's not really a gossip. <laughs> I wish he were. Oh, <laughs> like what? What is what is uh, Jean's masked life like to you? Like, I mean, he could shapeshift, so he could take on like a teen persona and like go to like, <laughs> you know, he could be he could become Teen Wolf or something. He could go to like any Degrassi esque high school <laughs> drama and just kind of fit right in. Is that what you'd want? Like, but what is his clique? Among the humans. Hmm. I don't know. I would like to see Jean as a drag queen. Jean as a drag queen is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, My guess is the gender conventions on Mars were somewhat lax because physical differences probably meant less. Right. 
Right. So like it, it was more a self-expression and less something that's like culturally mandated. Hmm. Yeah. That that is that is my guess. Right. Um, I I kind of see him as like a uh, as like a raver, like uh, <laughs> not not like somebody in the front lines, but somebody who's kind of like in the back with like a with like a big coat on, who's just kind of like drinking in the atmosphere. That's that's fair. I can I can see that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, some, somewhere he can like kind of uh, be around company, but without getting a lot of attention. I, I feel like loud music, rave, kind of dance club sort of stuff would suit him pretty good. Yeah, that could work. That's that's a good call. I don't yeah. know. I, I'm I'm interested in this series happening though. So maybe <laughs> maybe each episode is is a different uh, lifestyle that he's taken on. Construction worker, drag queen rave there's uh, the barista yeah it it would basically be quantum leap <laughs> yeah. but it would all be but within one universe hell yeah i'm on board let's let's make this happen but but he uh you know i i think it is you know it's reasonable that he hasn't done so yet because he's reeling from the loss he probably right. doesn't want to open himself up again so right. the only people he can really talk to are the justice league and i think that he does kind of have a better rapport with batman than most because similar sense of loss Mm -hmm. he's one of the people who rescued him from the facility so at the beginning of this episode they uh, have a little heart to heart right you know he's a i mean and john to be frank he was a little verbose for my tastes right but i think that it is justifiable given that he's being tantalized by what he wants most Mm -hmm. um i got a lot of spock after his home planet was destroyed kind Mm -hmm. of vibes from him like where he's clearly very high emotion, but just he doesn't betray a lot of it through his facial patterns and his volume. Right. It's these like it's these uh, character ticks. Mm-hmm. Like he's talking an awful lot for a John Jones. Right. That's you know that's it. That's a tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he needs to. I think I think a lot of us are that way. It's like even at our, especially at our most you know high high strung high tension moment, like we just want to tell someone and. And, uh, you know, find someone who relates maybe. And, and, and obviously Bruce is his guy in that way. Yeah. You could, and you could be a little uncharitable and even read it as a way for him to kind of, uh, justify his later behavior Mm. because he's like, you don't know what it's like to deal with loss of this kind, which of course Bruce does. Right. And he just, you know, gives him a look. Right. But but you could only, you could almost read it like that. Yeah, so I guess I guess based on that, John doesn't know Bruce's Batman. Um, he, he's probably oh, right. just or respectful he's just being enough. Incredibly insensitive. <laughs> right? oh, <laughs> One God. of the two. That would be awful. I would hate that. So let's go with the alternative. Um, <laughs> I, I agree. He doesn't. He he never asked. I, he would have no reason to ask because right. like he doesn't know any humans. He doesn't know celebrities except for like those nineteen twenties movies that he, you know, he, he knows the, the cast of gone with the wind and citizen Kane. And that's about it. Yeah. If, if, if Clark Gable were Batman, he would, he exactly. would want to yeah. know. But... He knows he's not Clark Gable and that's <laughs> as much as he can. I really like this idea that that's how he learns about culture. <laughs> I don't remember when we came up with it, but I'm pretty into it. Yeah. Right. Oh, it was the wizard of Oz reference. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but but anyway we 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 you know we don't spend our entire amount of time with them we have to go check in uh in hugh hefner's mansion as uh he leads wonder woman down to his hugh hefner fuck den slash archaeology exhibit <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, what is going on here <laughs> 
Yeah, there's uh, there's uh, some good Flash, uh, Flash's libido moments, which I feel like could just be a segment every time he's on the show. Flash's libido. Let's talk about it. Um, <laughs> and then I mean, we're de- we're definitely firmly in the crotch tower right now because right. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's it's Hugh Hefner trying to coax uh, Wonder Woman to become one of his uh, his bunnies essentially, mm-hmm. uh, and she, she's you know being set up to go be initiated. Right. I. It all reads as just classic Playboy Mansion stuff, except that his bedroom has a bunch of archaeology exhibits in it, which makes me think that it's a kink of some sort. Like, just, you know, being like, I yes, I'm the mighty pharaoh, and these are my prized possessions sort of role play, something right. to that effect. It just, it raises so many more questions than it, like, I understand the necessity of having one scene for his prized possessions and also his fuck den right right (laughs) but it raises so many more questions than it answers (laughs) well while we're on the uh subject of the crotch tower like there is the line where she says uh, something is mentioned about a stone and she says i'd love to see your stone mr hickman like there yeah how did they get that past the censors that i'm not sure i want to point out that wonder woman is very worldly to kind of know how to like rope him in like right. you know he's, she's playing him hook line and sinker like she knows what he's after mm-hmm. clearly she knows that he's taken in with her beauty to i don't know if she knows the extent of what that means in this context but it's clear that there's feminine wiles to be used in this situation right i don't think that wonder woman that we saw in paradise lost would have been capable of this no no i'm not sure if it's her time in man's world has made her more uh, sex savvy or if it's just bad writing in, in this scenario. But, you know, oh, it, it, I think it's some of Hawkgirl's influence probably ooh. from uh, from the Aresia arc. Right, right. She probably found. Theory. Yeah, she probably found GL's alien spank magazines and was like, <laughs> yeah. what's this all about? <laughs> uh, you got an hour, princess. <laughs> Listen, life's lonely on the front lines, down in the trenches. <laughs> Man takes any form of release he could find. Um, yeah, so we go from uh, I'd love to see your stone, Mr. Hickman, to I guess uh, a lot of things seem to happen here, and I get a little bit confused, but I guess Morgan shows up and then turns Mr. Hickman into this creepy phallic-like snake monster. Yeah, that's a pretty... The, the symbolism there is pretty good. Yeah. Do you mind if I rewind for just a moment? Yeah, go for because it. Because I got very fixated on the fact that the Philosopher's Stone apparently caused Hugh Hefner's success in this world. Oh. Like, he said, I got all of it. Once I got this stone, everything went my way. Girls, money, cars, everything that I wanted. Interesting. I missed that line. Yeah, it was it was something in there, and like that made me really curious about what kind of MacGuffin this is. Because mm-hmm. like it's it's never just a MacGuffin. It's it's a MacGuffin that can grant eternal power, but it's also question mark. Right. Like, um, so like you know the Tesseract is infinite power, but it also has a specific utility. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made me wonder if it was like a one ring sort of right. situation where like it makes people show off a lot so that it can be found by more powerful people. Mm-hmm. Or maybe if it was just like a fries seven leaf clover sort of thing where it's just it, this is extra naturally important and it causes good luck for whoever has it. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. 
um, <clears throat> when we last see- I, I know that it goes nowhere with that. I just, I was very interested. Like, I thought this meant infinite power for Morgan. Why is it causing Hugh Hefner to have good luck? <laughs> <laughs> this just didn't seem to be on the same axis, and I got real focused. I, I, I get that. I, I missed that line somehow. Yeah, there is another good Wonder Woman moment during the fight, which is that uh, she doesn't want to run from the fight. Mm-hmm. And she does, after being told not by Etrigan, but by Flash, you need to get out of here with the stone. That's the priority. Right. Which I think is more good character development that we wouldn't have seen from Wonder Woman earlier in the series. That's true. She doesn't want to run from a fight. She wants to finish the fight. That is true. But there's uh, there's other priorities here, and she trusts Flash, even, even you know, despite his manifold flaws. <laughs> he's got a good head on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. There's a great moment, too, where, uh, where she's like, get people to safety. And you, the first person you see him pick up is one of the girls from earlier in the in the uh, hot tub. I, I love uh, Flash's little affect of whenever there's problems going on and he's chatting to a girl, he just says, excuse me one moment, and then just like goes and does the thing that he's going to do. Just It's a very speedster affect right. to like finish up, wrap up the conversation. Don't just abandon it. Just like, let's wrap it up real quick. Right. I got time. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a little something else to say about Flash, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> that is okay. Cut to the Watchtower, right? That was, I think, where we go next. We're on the Watchtower, mm-hmm. and there's an invasion of... Uh, something orcish. Orc, yeah. Um, orc was the word I was looking for. I could not think of it. Uh, just basic generic foot soldiers who all look and do the same thing. Uh, yep, these are jobbers. They're apparently invulnerable to fire sometimes. Is this our first fight on the Watchtower? I, I, I wrote that down. Like, I know we had, we had the... To, we had the bomb hunt, right? but it might be the first fight on the Watchtower. Well, depends if we're also considering Static Shock, because uh, uh, Brainiac, Brainiac incepted the Watchtower there. A lot of inceptions going around. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think this is, in Justice League, the first pr- proper Watchtower fight. Okay, yeah. The sense of the location, I don't think, was as good as the bomb hunt one. No, it wasn't. It was kind of it was all... just kind of like main the main, like main amphitheater right. location for the or like the lobby. They're all like fighting in some nondescript lobby. There aren't controls or doors of any kind. They're just on a on a level of some sort. Yeah, I thought it was like a bay or something. Just you know something right. super generic. Like it would have been cool if it were in the lobby because then they could pick up computers or potted plants and. You know, yeah, I, I, I mean, like it's you know, probably easier to just do it in a nondescript room with like very few objects, but right, missed opportunity certainly to like give the Watchtower a little bit more character. Needless to like, say, I want more. I want more scenes where like Flash is sharing mochas with yeah, Wonder Woman. That would be I want, great. Like those, I want those little little homely moments. <laughs> I would love that. I'd love a real heart to heart with yeah. uh, with Flash, but mm-hmm. um. So there's there's a really cool sequence here where Etrigan uh, tells Flash to run fast, run fast, 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 as fast as he can. He orders him. He's, he's like barking instructions at him because he's not he's not asking. He's telling. That's a, like. that's a good point. But th- so all of I guess Etrigan has ice powers as well as fire powers. That is that is accurate. Yes. Okay. All right. I didn't know demons had both. I assumed they had fire, but I didn't know they had ice. He specifically has Hellfire, which I think in different continuities has been shown to burn Superman, Mm. which is, you know, in those continuities, he's invulnerable, big I, literal vulnerable. Right. And, uh, you know, so there's very few things that could hurt him. Magic's one of them. Apparently, Hellfire is another one. And Hell Ice. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know what brand of ice this is, but like I, I've definitely watched the uh, the 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 film adaptation of Dante's Inferno from two thousand six. <laughs> uh, so I know that uh, the 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 deepest level of hell is an ice level. Yes. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I. <laughs> And if you want to know more about that, go to the Cartoncast at fancybat.com slash Cartoncast. There you go. I think it was just called Dante's Inferno, a animated epic. I, I've never heard of it. It was based on a video game. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> you get one plug per episode, so you've already squandered it. I've seeded my no. time. <laughs> Kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, they create this really cool, uh, as Flash is running around, creating, I guess... Uh, like this ice vortex. Ice Vortex, kind yeah. I put Frozen Maelstrom, you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it, I just thought that was a cool sequence as we watch all the the foot soldiers just kind of freeze over. Yeah, they, they, they freeze over and then, like, erode mm-hmm. from, the, from the high wind speeds. I think that there's, like, a wind chill effect that they're going for here. I don't know if it, like, was explained perfectly well, but, like, eh. it, the animation got it through. Yeah. There, there's also, like, this nice little shot of Flash stepping on half of a frozen head to as he like finishes yeah which is very much like a we've won the battle kind of surveying the wreckage sort of moment like pan up from the person stepping on a dead body and being like all right we did it right right which but it's like a it's a half frozen orc head it felt a little violent like i i was surprised that these characters just flat out died um yeah they're decaffeinated yeah (laughs) One and all. You know, and it's in, in the first episode, I mean, I, I guess you could argue three people probably died. The one guy went into death shock. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we saw Morgan, like, at, turn, like, at least two people into these Crypt Keeper looking, uh, you know. Like, <laughs> yep. They were pretty much, they had to be dead, right? There's no coming back from that once you're. I, I don't know magic, uh, <laughs> you know. If, she, if you don't know, we're screwed because I have no idea. Well, if you don't mind, uh, I've got a little something to say about Morgan, which could shed some light on her uh, her ability to do this. It's almost as if I planned it this way. Perfect. <laughs> Shall I? <laughs> to go for it. Our character highlight for this episode is Morgan Le Fay. She was created about a month after Jason Blood, uh, also by Jack Kirby huh. in September of 1972. Um, this is a slightly different history from the Arthurian legend. Uh, but she is still a half-sister to King Arthur and sisters to Vivian, la- the Lady of the Lake, and also a character known as Madame Xanadu, hmm. whom you may be familiar with in DC Properties. And I think she dated Jason Blood for a while there. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, she steals the youth of others, and her golden armor actually is there to shield her ancient withered body because it atrophied due to something Merlin did. Hmm. In the comics, she also sought the Philosopher's Stone, Again, for just generic reasons. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, she, she always fights Merlin. She always curses Jason Blood to demonhood. And she's always trying to destroy Camelot and overthrow King Arthur. It's it's this sort of very legend kind of cyclical history repeats itself sort of thing. The fact that this is always the thing that happens. I've, I talked about it last episode, but I, mm-hmm. I think it's like a Greek reincarnation myth almost where like, these people are fated to meet each other in this way over and over throughout the multiverse. And I just, I think that's very cool for a, for a, for a legend of such epic proportions in our pop culture to be sort of immortalized throughout, throughout different canons. Right. That's very cool to me. Yeah. 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 Cool. Uh, But I don't have anything else to say about her. She, you know, 
what you see is basically what you get. She's a sorcerer lady. Uh, she steals youth from people to uh, extend her own life. It's it's pretty it's pretty Cruella Deville for the most part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We move on to uh, another action set piece here, kind of, sorta. Um, oh, before we uh, actually. I'm I'm stepping back on my own guidance here. Uh, I I did I mentioned I would talk about Flash a little bit more. Oh sure. I like I want to like the character, but he's kind of becoming my new public enemy number one. I think like really I'm a fan of dad jokes, but his just make me cringe. Like it's a real pain in the butt, you know, when he pulls oh, an ice cube yeah, out of his a- butt. Some real Three Stooges shit right there. Yeah, it's not it's not even good jokes. It's just jokes <laughs> um they did a lot better like in the last episode the hugh hefner stuff was the levity that we needed between dramatic shit right right you know we we had fight we had a dark intro we had fight sequence we had hugh hefner mansion we had fight sequence it was a way to break up the tension mm-hmm. here there is just not enough time to do a proper one so I, th- I think that's why we have the flash rejoinders in between and to be fair if someone's gonna do them better be flash true yeah, um, I, I think it's mostly for the tone of the episode to kind of ebb and flow in that way. If we're going to climax again, we have to lower the stakes first. Sure, yeah. And and I feel like just with with uh, his character, he is he is the most obviously made for a kid's show. Um, yeah. Just the, the humor is very juvenile most of the time. Sometimes he's got good jokes that I legitimately laugh at. But um yeah, he's he's quickly kind of falling down my list as as John Stewart seems to be moving up a little bit. It's like I don't know, they're kind of they're both teetering at the bottom though. Like there's so many sure. other strong characters and and um once we're not like once we, you know, if we move into Justice League Unlimited, once that happens, I'm sure I'll like him more when the stakes aren't so high based on the 7. Like when there's yeah. more room for him to do more, maybe it'll change my opinion, but yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. Uh, I, I don't have quite as much of a problem with them, but uh, I won't defend the actual jokes themselves. <laughs> I think the moment of levity needs to be there. Right. The joke could have been better. Well, you know, it's like uh, it's the kind of joke that I would make, and whenever I see someone writing my kind of jokes, I think that's not good. Yeah. Erase that. <laughs> I'll burn it with my hellfire. <laughs> or ice. Hell ice. Hell ice. Yeah, I'll burn it with thing. my hell ice. <laughs> Freezer burn. Fre- there we go. There we go. Um, there's, um, one more moment that I want to point out before our climax is Mm -hmm. that, uh, we have this nice shot of, it's a pretty rare moment in the show where we just see someone kind of struggling with their own motivations. And we get that with John before the watchtower fight. We just kind of see him thinking on the things that he's lost, the, the families that he's lost and just like grieving and, and being torn between, wanting to uh rescue them mm-hmm. versus you know wanting to stay true to his loyalties now and that's just you know just watching him kind of like curl up in the in the watchtower being like stop stop thinking about this i can't you can't do this to me right just sort of also you know fighting with morgan morgan's uh her her kind of mental you know games mm-hmm. but also sort of just fighting with his own internal motivations and just it's a very lonely, vulnerable moment that we don't often get in a in a kids cartoon show. Yeah, that needs you know action and comedy. This is neither, and I loved it. Well, I think I think the uh, emotional strings that this show pulls is 
probably like you know like consistently what impresses me most because they're mm-hmm. doing so much for you know I, I i hate to say it because it's it's better than a kid's show but that's what it was sold as that's what it's packaged sure. as and and you know they really they really bring us a lot for when they don't have to so mm-hmm. yeah um, i it is it is very good uh shall we get to the climax of the episode yes let's do that so right before we kind of get to it, uh, Batman and Atragan have one more kind of uh, have one more moment where they're like, "Are you ready to kill uh, your friend if that's what it takes to take down Morgan?" And Batman says, "I repeat, whatever it takes." Uh-huh. And I kind of love that they give us so many lines between the two of them mm-hmm. because they are so similar in like this. Uh, there are lines that Batman won't cross, but they are very pragmatic to what they're trying to accomplish. Batman historically carry, like famously carries kryptonite with him, right. has backup plans to take down the rest of the Justice League if he needs to. <laughs> right. Like this is, he's always thinking of how his friends can betray him. Mm-hmm. So he's the one who's most likely to listen to what Etrigan is saying. And just a lot of the back and forth on like what is different between the two of us um, has been really has been really fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. I liked that. Um, so we we basically, I don't know if there's a transitional scene or not, but I feel like we cut from Watchtower to London, pretty much. It, 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 they The people on the Watchtower are like, I know how we can get there in time, and then they just show up. Was it like a boom tube? I don't <laughs> actually know what happened. Oh, yeah, there's this awkward scene where they just come flying out of the wall, basically. Like, who teleported them I don't, there? I don't have I don't have a clue. It's a it feels like a plot hole or something, but Yeah, maybe maybe it's it vague Etrigan powers. I don't vague demon abilities. I don't know. Oh, he, I mean that would kind of clean it up nicely. He can probably do that. Yeah. He he does a lot of stuff. Cuz I don't think any of them aside from maybe John Jones cuz I feel like I still don't know all of his capabilities could do that, but I don't know. It was well, weird. I mean, I guess I guess we're finding out why they don't have many magicians on the Justice League is cuz like it'd be kind of a, a a real pain yeah. to try to to storycraft around those, you know? That's fair. I mean, they have Jean Jones, and they just, you know, give him headaches <laughs> all the time is, is basically how they get around that. I know, I know. But yet, w- when they're fighting, they all kind of separate according to the theme of the episode, you know? Mm-hmm. Plud and Jean have it out. Right. You know, they and we get to see what Jean is truly capable of when he is actively fighting towards something, not just merely protecting the scant home that he has you know he's very used to like misdirection uh in turning invisible turning intangible you know confusing the enemy he's just fucking decking the shit out of it including turning to metal yeah i didn't know he could do that that was cool Um, yeah again i'm still learning all of his powers and capabilities uh so while while the main fight is happening there's also one that i can't let slide past uh uh, the prince turns his uh, throne into oh a, yeah it's like a rabid version Real wizard of oz kind of creation here well i, I th- or, or like a, a fantasia almost yeah i sticking with the disney theme i, I thought that it was a, a rabid version of the footstool from beauty and the beast like there, you know, it's yeah, just that's... it's like a dog it's reacting and acting like a dog um and so i guess watching, watching batman have to fight a th- like, a, like a sofa is pretty good yeah no i mean i, like I just I, taking him down a peg <laughs> I look, How is this my life? I legitimately thought that I was having a fever dream at that moment. But yeah, so 
she it, it, there's a cool sequence where, she, but also it seems pointless because they left a castle to turn London into a castle. I I don't know what to make of it. I don't know why they need this specific place for a castle. Yeah, yeah, but it was kind of cool watching Big Ben turn into like a tower. That one was cool. There's also a shot of just like this random hallway or the, like this random street corner with a bunch of flyers up turning into like a hallway with sconces and. <laughs> The dimensions don't even closely resemble the before and after. No. <laughs> it's just stock photo image, just, you know, uh, transition layer, transparency layer, one into the other. Like, it's so lazy. Yeah. They could have done so much better with that shot. They could have. And, and let's be honest, it won't be long until the marketing people are just putting their shit back up on the castle walls, so. Oh, that would be amazing. I would love to see, like, if she could keep this up for a week and have those bikers from the first episode just kind of deal. Oh, man. You know, do drag races down, like, the fucking courtyard. They're in London now for some reason, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many, like, Harley Davidson riding Londoners there are. Um, audience, if you're a Harley Davidson riding London uh, resident, let us know. That would be uh, L's Angels. <laughs> It's that or the Queen's Angels, I guess, so why not? It's the best I could do on short notice. <laughs> if I've got something I'm not expecting to turn into a joke, I'll let you know in advance going forward. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's all I ask. <laughs> um, but yeah, so on to the meat and potatoes here. Yeah, Jason gets penance stared by, uh, by John Jones. He does like this you know, mind-melding Vulcan, my mind to your mind kind of thing. And uh, in addition to making Etrigan kind of recount all the, you know, the betrayal that he did at the beginning of the episode, which knocks him out in a very Ghost Rider kind of way, mm -hmm. uh, he also kind of picks up some of the empathy from Jason, you know, both the actual betrayal and also, I'm assuming, a lot of the regret that comes with it. Mm. And that is what is enables him to gain the resolve to say no the price is too high which is a good line and it uh he just crumbles the stone in front of her uh and morgan just like well shit shit, shit we're shit out of luck this time uh, partner and just teleports away yep it's a little bit of an anti-climax but i didn't i didn't hate it because it rounded out john's character's character arc very nicely and um we see blood turn back into human and he's like good good on you for doing what I couldn't and just kind of walks away. Right. Right. Um, yeah. You know, like I, one thing that I was, that I, I said I would wrap back around to in our last episode was that like John has proven that he is so mentally superior to, to so many different things. Uh, so many different people, I should say that like, I kept thinking that it was all a trick. Like, he was not so lost as he seemed and that he was actually, mm. you know, playing the game or he was going to deliver a fake stone or something that was going to play into the ultimate, you know, downfall of the LaFaze. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I'm, I'm kind of glad they didn't go that route because it's more emotionally impactful uh, the way that they did. But... I think that my brain was kind of preventing me from just like sitting back and enjoying it because I wanted for Jean to be bigger than his circumstance. And um, maybe that's a problem I have overall with this arc is that like, I, I just wanted him to be better. Um, 
and that prevented me from enjoying it. I don't know, but maybe, maybe somewhere down the line that would be a really good way to kind of confirm the yeah. the character growth. We should remember that this is they haven't been like all the other people have been heroes for a long time and you know have personal lives or you know at least can pass as human. Mm-hmm. Jean can't, and we haven't really dealt with that yet. Right. So this is sort of a, this is us kind of getting into the mind of the loneliest man in the world, and uh, I, 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 I can kind of sympathize with your with your point of view. I just uh, I was so game to have all of this emotional catharsis for a person whose emotions I want very deeply to inhabit for this episode. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That I, I was I was just pretty game for him to feel the feelings that he felt as strongly as he did Mm -hmm. and go to that tipping point almost over the line. Does he abandon everything in favor of love and home and security? And uh, he decides not to. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the, I don't think that the arc works unless it's a real cost. Right. Unless it's a real decision. Right. Right. You know, if you do have that trick, the other person moment, you have to set it up somewhere and it, it wouldn't make sense for him to have set it up you know, at the beginning or right near the end. Like, I think it had to be a spur-of-the-moment decision. We're finally weighing John's heart against a feather and seeing where he comes down on it. I think that's where the drama really comes from in this episode. So, um, you know, I I recognize that maybe you didn't love it the most because it was a little bit hard to figure out the focus of the episode and where the motivations were and everything, but... Mm -hmm. Given that I saw where it was going from the beginning, I loved every minute of it. Right. I I'm willing to say that this is my favorite arc so far. Wow. And it's not not very close. Okay. All right. That's awesome. <laughs> it's it's a little close. I really like the last arc. <laughs> yeah, the last arc is is uh, fantastic. So for me, like I think knowing this story now, like maybe if I were to go back and revisit it, like later tonight or something, I might have more of an appreciation for it because I I would know what to look for. Um, Mm -hmm. So like, I'm not a big fantasy guy. I'm not, I'm not really into um, that element. Um, I have nothing against anyone who is, it's just never scratched an itch for me. So like stuff like Lord of the Rings, I've seen it, but I don't, it's not, you know, like in my DNA, I don't, I don't necessarily care all that much about it, but, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so, like, whenever we're getting into the mysticism stuff, like, things like that, I struggle a little bit because it's just not in my wheelhouse. It's not something I understand. It's not something that I um, care a great deal about. So, initially, this episode felt stacked against me um, because we're getting this weird castle thing. Another thing I don't care about is castles and, and movies about, you know... I'll, I'll grant you there. I'll grant you that one. <laughs> Um, and then, and then, you know, to, to see my favorite, uh, character of this series kind of having this, this strange arc, which in hindsight makes perfect sense, but getting there, I didn't totally follow what was happening. Um, but it does, it, it rounds it out beautifully. So like, ultimately I really do like this arc. It's just, I, I, I stumbled a few times on it. And, um, I think that some of the visuals in this and both parts of this are the coolest that they've done this whole series. And, you know, some of the fight stuff that they do, like the way that they, that Batman was swinging that sword and, you know, like some of the elements of that first fight were fun. And then, um, even as much as I hated the idea of a dog 
throne. You know, like that that fight was still <laughs> cool. So like I still I still like it a lot. It's just um, I can't say it's my favorite. Okay. Yeah. I, well, I mean, like obviously, I came to it r- knowing what was in store for me, and I have a you know a higher uh, tolerance of random fantasy sure. in my sci-fi so that that gets me through a lot right uh but uh if the biggest problem for you was i guess friction like genre friction what do you think would have been a way to ease that coming in Hmm. i don't really know what i would have changed i just i don't love all the confusion that i felt (laughs) which is probably on me like to be honest the biggest problem i have with this episode is probably on myself so I, I I think that's a little self-critical. Like uh, you shouldn't be like me, who's just who can only enjoy it on the second watch. Like this should stand <laughs> on its own to somebody who hasn't seen it before. If you don't know anything about Jason Blood or Morgan, you're going to be hella confused coming in. Yeah, uh, it's it's you know it is on the it is on the part of the writer to account for that. And I would argue, based on your reaction and you know setting some of my own personal bias aside that they could have done a better job. I just don't know what that job is. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll i agree with you there. Um, they clean up nicely, though. They do. It's it's a very tight ending. All right, well, did you have an episode highlight that you wanted to shout out before we close up? Yeah, um, I've... <laughs> okay, I'm backpedaling a little bit because as much as I bitched about the castle imagery, I loved the ending of this episode. The way that... Jason walks off into the fog of London, oh, but it also yeah. sort of fades into the castle from the uh, beginning of the first episode. It it definitely gives you a lot of uh, Ronin vibes. Yeah. Like wandering samurai without a master sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Like he is, he is a knight sworn to a cause that no longer exists. And it, there's a beautiful tragedy in his character that I would love to spend more time on, but I'm pretty sure we don't see him again. Oh, uh, well... If we do, I'll be happy. But if not, it's okay. We had a good. It's good. Yeah, it's good symbolism for like, this is the cause to which he always returns. Like he can't put this down. Right. He can never put down his betrayal or his sense of vengeance. Sure. Which is what you know, arguably, is what Jean is rising above. He's like, I am putting my loss behind me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live. I'm going to embrace my new family. Uh, the price of losing them is too high to. Uh, at a chance to get regain my old family right so it's a it's a cool image and it's a little bittersweet i I agree yeah yeah uh what about you uh probably when wonder woman was playing hugh hefner like a fiddle (laughs) (laughs) just like i know this is what the i i know of the man and the man's desires this is what the man wants this is how i talk to them um and just kind of you know wrapping her him around her little finger trying to get some some information that was that was a good moment it was good but yeah i i certainly enjoyed the time spent on this episode it was just um it it wasn't a total home run for me but maybe like i say that that is okay second viewing maybe it'll be different i bet it will well i'm sure it'll look better through the uh through the through the through the lens of hindsight right because next episode we've got metamorphosis and that is Green Lantern. Oh, it is. I I believe it is. Okay. Interesting. From from if memory serves, it is Green Lantern. Interesting. It's also the name of Hillary Duff's first album, but that's not important. Sure it is. Uh, sure it is. <laughs> we will be back with Metamorphosis next week. Um I believe 
Metamorpho is involved in that episode. So I'm excited to see how that goes. If he's not, then it is false advertisement with his name. Uh, I'm pretty sure he is, and I don't think he looks very good. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't think he looked good in general in the first place. So maybe that's just being true to the comics. He's not a tasty hunk of glo- globulous man. Yeah, he's he's not a. Oh God, I can't think of any other euphemisms. <laughs> I don't think half the words I said were he's, real. He's he's not a he's not a, a melt in your mouth loaf of sourdough. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> He's not a tall drink of... uh... Andy Dufresne, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But next time, uh, but until next time, you can find me um, in Hugh Hefner's Fuck Den slash Archaeology exhibit, uh, where I do my podcast, the Cartoncast, uh, which is at uh, fancybat.com slash Cartoncast. We talk about old cartoons. Uh, Shoot us a line. Awesome. And I can be found at the Wax Nostalgic Network. Uh, Links for everything will be in the show notes. So... Thank you for listening, and we'll be back with Metamorphosis. Thank you for listening to The Watchtower. To find out more about this show or any of our other shows, visit us on the web at www dot wax nostalgic network dot com